This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with one of the leading figures in collegiate sports, Mike Oresco, Commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, or AAC. That is coming up in a few minutes, but first, let's look at some of the other stories we are watching this week, and we begin with, well, it's a grim anniversary, the 10-year anniversary of the car crash that began the downfall of Tiger Woods. Well, yes, but we're talking about it in the sense of sports business because as that story unfolded, it was like, wow, is Tiger done? Does everybody dump him? But Nike stood by him. Where are we? I've been a decade clear from that. Tiger's won a Masters again. He's popular as ever. People want to see him on TV. Without him, the PGA Tour is what? Um, remember when people said you know, Tiger would be back? Tiger's back. And and probably for the long haul. Yeah, he's back-ish. I mean, the, the, that that car incident was the start of many, many problems for him. Not the, how the many extramarital days, affair. How not many even days in a row one. was he on the, the cover of the New York Post? Oh, man. Yeah. It, was, it, it was some crazy I string of days. I think he was days. eclipsed the following year, two years later, by Michael ja- uh, Michael Jackson. Or was that before? I thought, I thought only Anthony Weiner could have <laughs> competed. But. Were you were you working that day? Were, well, yes. You, you were? Yes. Yeah. I was in college, but I... I remember not grasping the severity of what had happened right. until, you know, days and then weeks later. Did you realize immediately that, oh, yeah, oh, this could be. Yeah. Only, only because uncover. on the Bloomberg terminal, every time we wrote Tiger Woods, there was just massive consumption. Yeah. You couldn't write enough about Tiger. I, and then I, this was like, oh. I remember that day because I was back at ABC and, I, and I'm like, oh, shoot. And, and you knew this was bad. Uh, if anything else, it took the the shine off tiger woods because you you looked at him you had him on this pedestal and then all of a sudden blam it's like what was going to happen to all of his sponsorships and on down the line yeah that was a very awkward press conference too with his mother sitting there and yeah. uh, yeah very awkward press conference up next, we have word that Meg Whitman, the Silicon Valley veteran and one-time candidate for governor, is buying a minority stake in Major League Soccer Team FC Cincinnati. Guys, you broke this story this week, so fill us in on the details. Well, Meg has been trying for some time to get into MLS. She looked at, I believe, DC United. She looked at Sacramento. Um, she was at Procter and Gamble for a while based in Cincinnati. So no stranger to the city. Uh, she's taking 25% of the club. What's the valuation? Edmund? It was like four, 450 million valuation on the team. Something right in there. Yeah. It's, uh, this, I mean, she becomes possibly the highest profile female investor in, in MLS right now. She's not the only one, but she's, she's one of them. Um, the new St. Louis team that will be joining in 2022 is, is majority female led as well. Uh, but, I mean, a, a, a good person, you know, former Hewlett Packard CEO, now I CEO of, of Quibi, yeah. 
Um, certainly a good person to have in, in your board meetings kind of discussing things like digital strategy, et cetera. Well, I, I'm curious that we haven't spoken to Meg yet, but I'd like to speak to Meg about the long-term plans. What does the deal entail in terms of a possible path to control? Does she want to be the controlling partner? Is this a warm-up to something bigger like a, uh, a a big three purchase in a, in a sports league. Uh, oftentimes people use these as training grounds. Just what's the thought? Why soccer? What does she like about it? And what's the future plan? Yeah, actually give us a break that down for us. Oftentimes, once you get approved for ownership in, in one league, that kind of eases the transition if you want to get approval in other leagues. Is that yeah, essentially right? One, people know you're interested. And two, you sort of use it as a training ground. You, you really see if it's something that interests you. Uh, sports is unlike anything else. You've seen tremendously successful people in one business go into ownership of a sports team and realize, whoa, this this ain't so easy. I thought I'd just show up and we'd win games and everything would be great. And that's oftentimes not not the way it goes. So, you know, it's one of the reasons they, they use these LP stakes as a training ground. And briefly, moving on to our last topic, it looks like the Sports Investment Fund, a billionaire Stephen Ross, is investing in the sports gambling startup Action Network. Yeah, just more proliferation, you know, the, the the blurring of the lines between, you know, sports team owners and the sports gambling space. Action Network, for those who don't know, is a digital media startup. It, it focuses entirely on gambling. It is both... Go back of, and listen to the CEO on our podcast. Exactly. Patrick Keene was on a couple months ago. It focuses on sports gambling news. And then also there's a, a data component where, you know, you can, you know, create your own algorithms and, and, and create your own betting strategies and formulas. Uh, there are a number of other major league investors in the company the, the cubs are in it uh josh harris and david blitzer who own the 76ers and the devils uh they're invested as well uh just another kind of you know it, it's clear it's becoming increasingly clear that everybody in sports realizes there is there is money to be made here uh and one of the ways stephen ross the owner of the dolphins wants to do it is through action Network. i was out at the prudential center earlier this week hanging out in the william hill lounge went upstairs they have more than one partnership but I think the key in Jersey, anyway, is still the mobile betting. Why anybody would do this and not have mobile betting, I just don't understand. One of the few places where the Devils play, yeah. one of the few arenas and stadiums yep. where you can live bet on your phone while the game is going on. Did you did you see people doing it? Does it affect? Did you think it affected anything about the in arena experience, good or bad? No, you wouldn't have known they were they were doing. It. I mean, yeah. people on their phones in an arena is a common sight. These who knows what they're doing, but no. The, the, the short answer is I did not. Hmm. Now let's get to this week's interview with Mike Oresco, Commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, or the AAC. He has held the position for more than seven years, during which he's overseen a strategic reinvention of the conference. Under his leadership, the AAC has won four NCAA championships, and we're pleased to welcome him to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. And Mike, I got to say, your folks who work with you are telling me that you are a little bit peeved at the ranking system. Sounds like sounds like you've got some uh, some problems with where some of your teams are ranked. Why don't you tell us what the problem is? Uh, I do, and um, that is entirely accurate, Scott. And uh, again, great uh, to be with you and Michael and, and Evan. Uh, yes, uh, I point to what I perceive as a double standard, and this is what I mean by that. In the past, as you know, and it's currently the case now, we have had a number of two and three and even four lost teams ranked ahead of our undefeated and one lost teams in our conference. And the reason that, that supposedly this is the case is because we um, 
don't have quite the strength of schedule. That's what that's what's claimed. Or the, our conference isn't as strong. Now, the, the, the CFP says they don't look at conferences per se, but how do you determine that strength of schedule without really thinking about the conferences? We play a brutal non-conference schedule. Yeah, I mean, there's and a problem in the nomenclature. What you say right off the bat, you're behind the eight ball when you say that team is from a Power 5 conference. The nomenclature itself seems like it's stacked against you. Exactly right. It's branding. You know, branding is so critical in these matters. Uh, we can be right now. We're just about even in the in the six computer polls with the ACC. I mean, literally, we're at uh, a low numbers better. We're at fifty seven point eight. They're fifty six point five. Easy, so Mike. I'm right a Syracuse there. graduate, Mike. Easy on the ACC. Well, it's, it, that's just the case. And we've been ahead of the ACC and the Pac twelve at various times this year in those kinds of polls. But to my point, okay. It's an established fact. And, and by the way, this is all factual. None of, none of the things I'm talking about now have anything to do with opinion. This is all fact. We have been behind these two, three, and four lost teams because of the so-called strength of schedule. Now the shoe's on the other foot. Our conference is so far superior to the other G4, it's not even close. Okay, Our, our computer ranking, I'll go into a couple of those things. But the point is, because that's the case, my feeling is any one-loss team in our conference should be ahead of any one-loss team in the G5, whether it's Boise, Appalachian State, I don't care who it is. And if we have a two-loss team getting through our rugged conference with the kind of schedules we play, they should be ahead, just as all these two- and three-loss teams have been ahead of us in the, uh, in, the, in the P5. So I think there's a double standard at work in two areas. One, uh, on the other hand, we, we're, we're not judged the same way against the P5. I think we're just as good as they are, but yet we still get, you know, we get put behind these two and three lost teams pretty routinely. And now we're fighting the G5, and we, we see teams like Boise and Appalachian State ahead of some of our one-loss teams. Uh, in the recent ranking, that was certainly the case with SMU. Now, SMU did lose a, a tough game to Navy, so they'll, you know, they're no longer a one-loss team. And here's, here's, here are the facts that I cite. They talk about strength of schedule. I don't know what this week's um, results are, but there's a, a company called Sports Sorts Analytics, which uh, provides information about strength of schedule. And the committee uses them, by the way. The committee has a contract with them, I believe. Cincinnati, and, and again, a lower number is better here as well. Cincinnati strength of schedule is 41. Navy's was 61. Memphis, 71. SMU, 73. Again, don't know what it is this week, but it can't be any worse because they've all been playing good games. Cincinnati just played Temple. Navy played SMU. You know, Memphis, USF, and, and SMU obviously played Navy. Okay, Boise, 97. Appalachian State, 102. San Diego State, 124. This is their own company. It's not their company, but it's a company they deal with that provides them with strength of schedule statistics. In addition, we are, and this is an eye-popping number, guys. I don't know if you're aware of it. We are 27-1 and against opponents outside the power conferences, meaning the G5 and Army and BYU and UMass and other, other people like that, including some FCS. We are 14-1, and 14-1 and against the, so, you know, the so-called G5. We are 4-0 and against the Sun Belt. We are 3-0 and against the Mountain West. And by the way, Tulsa is 3-8 three, three and eight this year. They're probably the best 3-8 and eight team in the country, but they beat Wyoming. They beat Wyoming, which I think has a winning record in the Mountain West. In addition, they went out and beat San Jose State 34-16. to That is the same San Jose State team that had Boise on the ropes midway through the fourth quarter and was leading. Okay, right, Mike, that's, that's, that's a lot of numbers. Let, that's a <laughs> lot of numbers. Let my resident number guy, Eben, jump give, in here. Give us a sense of, of what this means from a business standpoint. Obviously, you want... 
your team's higher ranked, you want more respect. How does it affect a school like Memphis to be ranked 18 when they're 10 and one, as opposed to 12, where you may think they should be? Give us some numbers on how this affects your schools and your conference. Well, I think it affects our, our perception. I think it, affect, it, it certainly is going to affect potentially New Year's Day. That's why I tried to get ahead of this, Evan. Yeah. You have to be a champion of the so-called G5. It's a quirk of how this thing was set up seven years ago. I don't think people gave it a lot of thought. For it listeners who don't know, there's one team from the group of five that is guaranteed entrance into this these seven you know new year's day six new year's day area bowl games and that's a, obviously a, a big thing for the for your conference the, the american to, to land well I, w- I was instrumental in pushing for that seven years ago but when we pushed for it for some reason we said okay our champion and we didn't really think of, there was no cfp at the time ranking system the cfp wasn't you know even it was barely formed and there was no you know, nobody knew how the whole thing was going to go, and so we, we really weren't talking about CFP rankings at that time. We talked about a conference champion. Now, as you know, you can be a, a, a non-conference champion and still be in the CFP and, and play in the playoff. Alabama's done it a few times. Uh, but in our case, you have to be a champion. So Memphis might might not even make it, but if they do make it, it's possible that they could beat Cincinnati, you know, or excuse me, lose to Cincinnati. Navy loses, and then they beat Cincinnati the following week, or Cincinnati beats them, and and uh, and then Cincinnati loses the championship game and has two loss. Well, if Cincinnati loses the championship game, they're out. But they could end up losing to a two-loss Navy, for example. The point is, there's still a chance, a chance that we would have a two-loss champion. Now, if we have a one-loss champion. My guess is that it will end up in the uh, in the playoff because yeah. that's where we're ahead right now. But my point was this: when that, when I saw Appalachian State ahead of SMU at nine and one, you know, I was I was upset, and I think I had a right to be upset because again, strength of schedule, you know, and and also SMU's only loss at that time. And by the way, losing to Navy on Senior Day, Navy has not lost a Senior Day football game in seventeen years, and I can guarantee you they've played some pretty good teams in that span. And they barely edged SMU in a real classic. It was a thriller. Newsflash: right Fire any athletic director that schedules Navy on Senior Day. <laughs> well, it, it's really a brutal thing. It, well, that's just a, it, it, nobody scheduled that one. That was a conference <laughs> game. It just came up in the computer. But the point is, SMU had lost to Memphis on national TV by six points. Memphis was ranked 18th in the country. Appalachian State plays a much weaker schedule. A couple of uh, two and eight teams. You know, it's just it's not even close. You can't compare the Sun Belt to our conference and and they lost at home at home now not on the road to georgia southern and yet they had the same record as smu and were ranked ahead of smu and okay they had a, a couple of p5 wins but one of the teams is four and seven it's going to be four and eight in all likelihood the other team is, is four and six i don't know what it is right now so it's not as though uh you know smu beat tcu on the road and that that win was looking better and better as tcu was playing everybody as tough as possible i you love know, irritated mike Oresco. you're usually a pretty measured guy mike i like irritated mike Oresco. Well, the point is, what the other thing I, I would point out is our our P five schedule. You know, uh, we we really have a brutal one. I mean, we played at Ohio State, we played at Auburn when they were undefeated and in the top ten. We played at Oklahoma when they were undefeated in the top ten. We played Wisconsin, we played Oklahoma State, we played at Michigan State at the beginning of the year. We played, um, you know, at Notre Dame. We, you, you can't play a much tougher you know, non-conference schedule, and we'd have probably a dozen wins if we'd played some of the teams the, the other conferences have played. We're speaking with Mike Oresco, the, the commissioner of the, athletic, uh, the American Athletic Conference. Mike, I'm curious, how big is the, is the payout that you guys give per each school each year? 
Oh, I, I can't get into that, guys. Okay. I, I don't get into the financials. But, but believe me, we are doing we're doing what we're doing. Competing with the P5, 44 wins, by the way, since 2014. Uh, you know, three huge bowl wins and a fourth. We were right there with LSU. We do that with, uh, let's put it this way, a fraction of the money that they make and from TV. And how do you uh, we, how do you go about closing that? If you're saying it's a fraction, and, and I believe oh, the, the new the new deal, our new TV deal, ESPN we'll deal, 12 years, right? Yeah, and, and you know you've heard the number. Everybody knows the number. I can't repeat it because we don't we don't release it, but everybody knows it. Um, that's going to help us enormously. It's going to give our. It's going to you know generate you know probably four and a half five times as much revenue long term uh, as we're making now in terms of TV, and that's going to help a lot. Now we're still not going to be making what the P five make, and and that's just the nature of the situation. But it's going to help us retain coaches. It's going to help us with facilities. It's going to help us with recruiting budgets. So we've been doing it on a, on a shoestring remarkably well because we have great administrators who've hired really good coaches and because our TV deal provided the exposure, which really built the brands of our teams. And once you start doing that, success breeds success. And the number that you're talking about, which you said you can't say, but I believe the reported number was a billion dollars over 12 years. That was reported, When yes. When you yes. talk about you know all, your complaint right now about where your teams are ranked um the reason why and correct me if i'm wrong the reason why you're so upset is that better perception means that next time when you're trying to negotiate these tv deals you get you know you can maybe you can get more money because your teams are better ranked your, your teams show up more you know they're a higher tv property it's kind of all connected in that way right well, to some extent, but I'm not worried about TV as much right now because we have a long-term sure, deal, deal a brand-new deal that starts next year. Uh, although at some point, you know, you have look-ins and those, those kinds of things, and so you want to you want to continue to be strong. So, you know, down the road, who knows, maybe you, you get together with your partner and you can do some adjustments. So it, it's not as though we want to we want to lag in any way. And, and you're right. This is it's more. I think the bowl situation. There are a couple of things, guys, that we're going to need if we want to get to the next level as a conference, and we deserve to, uh, based on our performance. We're going to need a contract bowl game. And what's that mean? It means that guaranteed New Year's slot. As you know, the Pac-12 and the uh, and the Big Ten have the Rose Bowl. They're automatically in it, even if one of their teams goes to the playoff. Their second place team goes in. The same thing with the Sugar, with the Big 12 and the SEC. The Orange has an ACC and then uh, possibly a Big Ten or, or, or a Notre Dame. Uh, there are three games that are that are sort of open, so to speak, and and they are the Cotton, the Fiesta, and the Peach. Every now and then they host the the semifinals of the national championship. But when they don't, they're open, and there's a procedure by which those are filled. One of those slots goes to the highest-ranked G5 champion. But there are five of those slots that are open right now. And down the road, when this thing gets renegotiated or extended, and it will in the next few years, I imagine, we need to have a rotating uh, guaranteed slot on New Year's Day. We've earned it. How do you, you know, get been, that? How do, how do you convince I think them we, to we give fight internally. Just, you know, we got thrown out of it last time internally. Well, we're now going to try to get back in internally, and we're going to be extremely aggressive and, 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 and lobby extremely hard to get that. And, you know, again, we're not going to sit back. This time around, we are absolutely going to fight tooth and nail to get it because we've earned it. You know, we've been on New Year's Day four out of six years. One of those years, we we still had the uh, the automatic with the BCS back in '13 when uh, UCF got in, but they'd have gotten in under this system too. But it's still it's it's a crapshoot, guys. It's it's a completely it's a dicey deal. 
you know, we were not, you know, there have been a couple of years when like Western Michigan got in. We didn't really think Western Michigan would have been undefeated in our conference. They had a very nice team and all, but, you know, we've got a rugged conference. So the same thing in 2014 when we had an outstanding Memphis team that, that lost some brutal road games against UCLA when they were good, not the UCLA now when they're not quite as good. Uh, and they lost to Ole Miss in, in, uh, in Oxford when Ole Miss had all those great players in that era, you know, the U Freeze era. Uh, again, we, we absolutely have to have that, and I think that would lead to our eventually becoming a member of the autonomy group, meaning you know the group that can pass legislation and, and do the different things. That group is that's a little esoteric for fans, you know, obviously being an autonomy conference, but it's really those five, you know, the so-called Power Five. We want to be called that. You're right, branding is critical. The branding has hurt us in so many different ways. Look, in 2015, we had four teams in the top 25. We had three undefeated teams. We were beating Penn State by 17 points. Temple did almost beat Notre Dame. Memphis beat Ole Miss after they had just beaten Alabama. We had big wins left and right. We've had those every year. In 2017, Memphis beat UCLA after they had beaten A&M. We have, we've had, again, 44 P5 wins, and a lot of them have been against good teams. Uh, we have five top ten wins. Nobody else has that. We're the only team that stopped Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson in the same year. We beat both Louisville and Oklahoma and shut down those quarterbacks. Uh, this conference has done some remarkable things, but it still doesn't get the credit it deserves. And that's why I sort of, you know, I, I, I really ramped it up the last two weeks because I saw what I, I perceive as a double standard uh, regarding our conference. It's that simple. Barry, you've heard of Lamar Jackson, right? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. You never <laughs> go wrong bringing Houston, up Lamar Houston, Jackson. <laughs> Houston sacked Lamar Jackson 10 times in that game back in 2016 and won 36-10. to 10. I think Louisville was ranked either fifth or third in the country at the time. Their only loss was a close one at Clemson. They were utterly destroyed by Houston. Houston stopped Baker Mayfield. They were about to go ahead 40-17. to 17. They fumbled the goal line, so they only won the game 33-23. <laughs> they dominated the game. They dominated the game. The point is, we've had outstanding teams. That Houston team in 15 beat Florida State by a couple of touchdowns in the Peach Bowl. Florida State was, I think, eighth or ninth in the country. Baylor was ripping through everyone in 2013, and, and uh, UCF, uh, you know, uh, got 52 points and won the uh, won the. Uh, Fiesta Bowl and shocked everyone. They were the biggest BCS underdog of that era. And so we've done it year after year after year. This is not new. This is something that it's reached a tipping point, though, because this year, top to bottom, this is the strongest our conference has ever been. And let me give you just two comparisons that I think the committee ought to be looking at. And I, you know, we, you know, I try to get the point across in the media because maybe you can't lobby the committee directly, but maybe this has some. They're all listeners of the Bloomberg Business and Sports Show, Mike. They all listen. We know they do. Well, let's hope they do, and let's hope that they at least look at the methodology. Because I don't attack the committee personally. But if you look at, you know, BYU beat Boise, and BYU lost to USF. USF is is not one of our top teams, but USF actually beat uh, BYU. And BYU not only beat Boise, they beat uh, Utah State 42-14. to In addition... Cincinnati went out to Marshall and won 55 to 14. It was 45 nothing at one point. Marshall lost to Boise on the blue field 14-7, 14-7 at at Boise. Now think about those comparisons and you get a sense of of the strength of this conference. I said Wyoming, 
lost to uh, to Tulsa, and, and, and I told you about the Tulsa San Jose State. In addition, Navy beat Air Force. Again, we're undefeated pretty against the Sun Belt and the Mountain West. We've got that 27-1 record. I think that does stick out, you know, in terms of the strength of this conference. If that's the case, why aren't our one-loss teams ahead of all other one-loss teams? Why wouldn't our two-loss team be ahead of any one-loss team in the other conference? Because it's done to us every time we see a two, three, four-loss P5 team, it's just assumed to be better. I don't think Baylor's necessarily better than, than most of our teams. I don't necessarily think Minnesota's better than most of our teams. I don't think there's a, there are a number of teams that are not necessarily better. You know what's better? Three, you know what's losses. better? Blue turf. Well, it's one of the best branding tools out there. That Boise did that blue turf. It's just a really good brand. People, you know, immediately saw it. You know, you're at Boise and you're, and you're playing. Yeah. But that's blue. Bar, ask about the green sports well, broadcasting in green. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me uh, ask no this. No question. It's a branding it, thing. No question. L- let me ask a question, if I may, about uh, you are a former TV executive. How has that experience from your TV days carried over as the commissioner of the AAC? Well, I think it, it certainly helped in the TV negotiations, which were critical to the future of our league. Obviously, knowing the players, you know, having relationships with, with ESPN, one of my former uh, employers, and also CBS, but dealing with Burke Magnus, whom you know, I've known for 30 years or more, uh, knowing, knowing you, know, where the, you know, where the pressure points would be in the TV negotiations, I, I think that's been obviously very critical. And, and Tom O'Jackson and I have been in, in TV media for a long time. Tom worked at ESPN for a number of years, and he's been the, uh, our, our TV guy here at the conference. Uh, in those negotiations, you know, obviously experience is, is really important. So that, that, that's one area. In, in getting the original deal done and getting the exposure we got for the conference, I think, was probably, you know, it was probably helped by my media background. And in addition, just, you know, having been in the media, you know, do, doing a lot of interviews, doing, doing all sorts of things, I've been able, I think, to, to at least brand the conference. You know, the P6 campaign has been really important. And, um, you know, you, you get a feel for this is a media-driven world, and I think being in TV all those years. But also, I dealt with the college community for all those years. You know, I was involved in college football and basketball and, and Olympic sports, involved in NCAA sports. You know, obviously, uh, you know, scheduled the NCAA tournament for CBS. Those experiences were really invaluable in terms of developing relationships, uh, which have really helped, uh, I think, in the conference. Uh, and, again, we've got a long way to go, but uh, th- those kinds of things uh, – certainly uh, helped inform my judgment about how this conference needed to be perceived. Mike, before we let you go, I want to ask you, I know for a while there were discussions about a potential group of five playoff, maybe within, you know, your own five leagues, you know, this year, the idea of maybe a 12 and one Boise state playing an 11 and one Memphis seems like it would be a, a pretty popular item for a TV network to broadcast. Where are those discussions right now? Do you think that is likely to happen? And are you in favor of that or are you against it? Uh, no, there there have never been any discussions. It's just been a media thing. Uh, we are opposed to it. We have zero interest. We have less than zero interest. We have less than less than zero interest. Zero and why period. is that? You you just don't want to fully separate yourself from the others. I mean, obviously, you don't feel like that's warranted, but exactly, we're we're moving the other direction. You know, we're moving toward the P five. We think we're going to be a P six eventually. We, they can't they can't stop us eventually because we've got huge schools like UCF and and USF. They're they're building their brands. We've got big schools like Cincinnati and East Carolina and Memphis and and uh, 
you know, we've got schools in great markets like SMU, and obviously we've got Houston and all these. We're going to get there. We this is a new world. It's it's not the world of 30 years ago. It's with with uh, TV, the kind of exposure we get. Memphis may have four ABC appearances this year. Think about that. Four games on ABC. We've had our championship on ABC for five straight years. The last thing we would ever do is move in the opposite direction and basically brand ourselves as, as a separate division. You know, we're F- FBS, and, and everyone's FBS. There are 10 FBS conferences. The problem we've got is this G5 business. It's, it's brutal for us because it is branding. But the minute we, we would ever agree to something like that, then we would be a J deal. We would be in some kind of separate division where we play for a separate championship. As far as I'm concerned, down the road, look, UCF should have been should have had a shot at the national championship. In 2017, I believe they could have won it. I, you can't believe how many guys from that team are in the NFL now, whether it's Shaquem Griffin, you know, whether it's Traquan Smith, whether it's Jordan Akins, you go up and down the list, tons of players from that team, and they could have beaten anybody that year. They were that good. You saw it when they beat Auburn in the bowl game. Uh, the other thing is we've had teams that, that could compete. Houston, clearly in 2016, had they taken care of business in the conference with their two huge wins over Oklahoma and Louisville, would have been knocking on the playoff door. The last thing we would ever do in this conference is go backwards and become you know, cemented as, as some kind of G5 inferior secondary championship. Not a chance we would ever do it. Mike, no I'm so old. You say Houston. I think of David Klingler. I mean, that's, well, Houston's that, got a that's great tradition. Well, yeah, it is old, man. Yep. I mean, if I pass it for like 600 <laughs> yards a game. But I'm, the takeaway for me, and we do this, you know, you said they can't stop us. So that's shot across the bow at the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, the AAC is coming for you. They want the Big 6. Mike Oresco, Commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, thank you very much for taking some time. Hey, thanks, fellas. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Happy thanks Thanksgiving to you too, sir. Mike had a lot to say, and uh, I see why. He's he's all worked up, but his experience when he was a big-time TV executive has carried over to the AAC, and it has helped him out tremendously in at least trying to get uh, you know the, the games on television, And but there's a long way to go if you talk to Mike. Yeah, Bart, had we known it was going to go that way, I would have said, let's save our number for the week, which is still coming for like the number of seconds between breaths. Mike went while making a point. He, I mean, how many scores and teams did he remember dating back a number of years? I mean, it was pretty impressive. Temple and, and UCF. He's encyclopedic. And, I think if you yes. asked him who did Tulane play week 14 in 2015, he would, he would well, know he exactly the, who He is the commissioner, but listen, you, you have to say that the AAC – is going to need that sort of push and that sort of passion if they're really going to be considered a Power Six conference. Because, Layman, you ask my friends, do you want to see UCF play or do you want to see Auburn play or do you want to see Alabama or do you want to see Arkansas, whatever, they're going to default to the power conferences and big brands that they're familiar with and they see on TV every week. I think we often say you know, branding and marketing matters in some kind of ethereal way. I think Mike is laying out exactly why it matters in a in a hard dollars and cents way. Mm-hmm. You know, his conferences distribute pennies on the dollar relative to the Big Five, and in his opinion, and, and he certainly had numbers to back it up. Uh, at least in the on the football side of things, the big money maker, there, there's not much difference between him and, and some of the other Power Fives. You know, so this idea of him being kind of stuck out as being bigger and, and probably better on the field than the other 
group of five schools, but maybe not quite at the level of the Power Five. That's been a, a real detriment to his colleges, uh, his his schools, and his conference. I want to see if they get that guarantee. We need that guarantee on New Year's Day. Uh, he's clearly going to fight yes. tooth and nail for it. He he has the information in his head already, and I'm sure written down as well to to, to advocate for it. Um, but yes, that, I mean that would go a, a massive, massive way for them. It's just a matter of, of can he be persuasive enough to make that happen. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports. The number of the week. Number of the week, eight. Alex Ovechkin. Very good, but the grade no, eight. that's not it. You say like eight it. in my household, you eight. say eight, it's Alex Ovechkin. It's Mark yeah. Brunel in my household. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that high for number of wins in a season? <laughs> eight, and it's the jersey of a quarterback who very likely will be the MVP of the year in the NFL, Lamar Jackson. I mean, Mike Oresco named it, you know, named uh, Lamar Jackson in the interview. But who saw this guy? I don't know. Did you see it coming? Lamar Houston Jackson may have been the last good? team yeah, to yeah. slow him down. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> wow. And, and you just sort of look at players who have the ability now to connect with fans. And he's got this magnanimous smile and he's got this exciting Michael Vick running game. But he could also sit there and throw from the pocket. You sort of wonder how everybody's you know, the league in particular is going to push this kid and see if he can indeed become sort of the, a new face of the league. I saw this stat, which blew my mind, from Pro Football Talk recently. Uh, in, in the game against the Rams Monday night when, when, when the Ravens blew out the Rams, uh, Lamar Jackson already moved into the top 50 in all-time rushing yards for a quarterback. It was, his, it was his 18th start, and he's 22 years old, and he's already in the top 50. While we're talking, can you be fast enough on the Google machine to, to give me Fran Tarkington? <laughs> where, where is he? How many yards rushing does Fran? Do you even know who Fran Tarkington is? Yeah, the Vikings okay. quarterback. Oh, yes, yeah. Whew, feel better there. Uh, where, where is Fran Tarkington in rushing yards, and where is uh, Career Lamar Jackson? Career rushing yards. Let's see. You know, while we're waiting, I, I got to tell a quick story. Yeah, we're ready. Career we're ready. rushing right yards. He is, oh, there's yeah. a lot. 3,674. Okay. So Lamar Jackson right now uh, is is way below that. Lamar is at like the 1,700, I think. Oh, so he'll need four more games. I got to tell a quick story about (laughs) Fran Tarkenton. And it messed me up because Merlin Olsen. Merlin Olsen, yeah. I love it. I love the old school. Oh, I love it, man. It's like, and and you know, you you look at, you know, you had the TV show and, you know, Little House on Little the House Prairie, yeah. nice guy and everything. And then they play the NFL clip. Of and he's him killing to, somebody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's talking about, we tried to, you know, yeah. talking about talking and we tried to get that little wimp all over yep. whenever we could. I'm like, that's not the man I know and love. What happened? You know what we need with today's NFL stars? We need a Cannonball Run reboot. <laughs> that's. So you wouldn't watch? I would watch. We, I mean, and bring back some of the, you know, if you can give me some of the folks, like Terry Bradshaw, get, get me a Cannonball Run reboot with today's star players. Get Jimmy Johnson. And they struggle. Like, like Frozen 2. That's like, you know, taking the box office by storm. Yeah. Nobody else has any good ideas. There's your good idea. Yeah. Netflix. Anybody? Reed Hastings, are you listening to me? <laughs> You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday talking to the biggest names in sports. And you can catch me on Twitter, or as my parents used to say, on the Twitter, 
at Big Bar Sports. You can catch me at Novi underscore Williams. Uh, and I don't believe that line about your parents. You can catch <laughs> me at Sashni because your parents were on the Twitter. I don't know. Uh, join us again next week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts. 